section forty three of library of the world's best literature ancient and modern volume nine this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by dion gines salt lake city utah library of the world's best literature ancient and modern volume nine section forty three count fosco from the woman in white by william wilkie collins count fosco from the woman in white he looks like a man who could tame anything if he married a tigress instead of a woman he would have tamed the tigress if he had married me i should have made his cigarettes as his wife does i should have held my tongue when he looked at me as she holds hers i am almost afraid to confess it even to these secret pages the man has interested me has attracted me has forced me to like him in two short days he has made his way straight into my favourable estimation and how he has worked the miracle is more than i can tell it absolutely startles me now he is in my mind to find how plainly i see him how much more plainly than i see sir percival or mr fairley or walter hartwright or any other absent person of whom i think with the one exception of laura herself i can hear his voice as if he was speaking at this moment i know what his conversation was yesterday as well as if i was hearing it now how am i to describe him there are peculiarities in his personal appearance his habits and his amusements which i should blame in the boldest terms or ridicule in the most merciless manner if i had seen them in another man what is it that makes me unable to blame them or to ridicule them in him for example he is immensely fat before this time i have always especially disliked corpulent humanity i have always maintained that the popular notion of connecting excessive grossness of size and excessive good-humour as inseparable allies was equivalent to declaring either that no people but amiable people ever get fat or that the accidental addition of so many pounds of flesh has a directly favourable influence over the disposition of the person on whose body they accumulate i have invariably combated both these absurd assertions by quoting examples of fat people who were as mean vicious and cruel as the leanest and worst of their neighbours i have asked whether henry the eighth was an amiable character whether pope alexander the sixth was a good man whether mr murderer and mrs murderess manning were not both unusually stout people whether hired nurses proverbially as cruel a set of women as are to be found in all england were not for the most part also as fat a set of women as are to be found in all england 
and so on through dozens of other examples modern and ancient native and foreign high and low holding these strong opinions on the subject with might and main as i do at this moment here nevertheless is count fosco as fat as henry the eighth himself established in my favour at one day's notice without let or hindrance from his own odious corpulence marvellous indeed is it his face that has recommended him it may be his face he is a most remarkable likeness on a large scale of the great napoleon his features have napoleon's magnificent regularity his expression recalls the grandly calm immovable power of the great soldier's face this striking resemblance certainly impressed me to begin with but there is something in him besides the resemblance which has impressed me more i think the influence i am now trying to find is in his eyes they are the most unfathomable grey eyes i ever saw and they have at times a cold clear beautiful irresistible glitter in them which forces me to look at him and yet causes me sensations when i do look which i would rather not feel other parts of his face and head have their strange peculiarities his complexion for instance has a singular sallow fairness so much at variance with the dark brown colour of his hair that i suspect the hair of being a wig and his face closely shaven all over is smoother and freer from all marks and wrinkles than mine though according to sir percival's account of him he is close on sixty years of age but these are not the prominent personal characteristics which distinguish him to my mind from all the other men i have ever seen the marked peculiarity which singles him out from the rank and file of humanity lies entirely so far as i can tell at present in the extraordinary expression and extraordinary power of his eyes his manner and his command of our language may also have assisted him in some degree to establish himself in my good opinion he has that quiet deference that look of pleased attentive interest in listening to a woman and that secret gentleness in his voice in speaking to a woman which say what we may we can none of us resist here too his unusual command of the english language necessarily helps him i had often heard of the extraordinary aptitude which many italians show in mastering our strong hard northern speech but until i saw count fosco i had never supposed it possible that any foreigner could have spoken english as he speaks it there are times when it is almost impossible to detect by his accent that he is not a countryman of our own and as for fluency there are very few born englishmen who can talk with as few stoppages and repetitions as the count he may construct his sentences more or less in the foreign way but i have never yet heard him use a wrong expression or hesitate for a moment 
in his choice of words all the smallest characteristics of this strange man have something strikingly original and perplexingly contradictory in them fat as he is and old as he is his movements are astonishingly light and easy he is as noiseless in a room as any of us women and more than that with all his look of unmistakable mental firmness and power he is as nervously sensitive as the weakest of us he starts at chance noises as inveterately as lara herself he winced and shuddered yesterday when sir percival beat one of the spaniels so that i felt ashamed of my own want of tenderness and sensibility by comparison with the count the relation of this last incident reminds me of one of his most curious peculiarities which i have not yet mentioned his extraordinary fondness for pet animals some of these he has left on the continent but he has brought with him to this house a cockatoo two canary birds and a whole family of white mice he attends to all the necessities of these strange favourites himself and he has taught the creatures to be surprisingly fond of him and familiar with him the cockatoo a most vicious and treacherous bird toward every one else absolutely seems to love him when he lets it out of its cage it hops on to his knee and claws its way up his great big body and rubs its top knot against his sallow double chin in the most caressing manner imaginable he has only to set the doors of the canary's cage open and to call them and the pretty little cleverly trained creatures perch fearlessly on his hand mount his fat outstretched fingers one by one when he tells them to go upstairs and sing together as if they would burst their throats with delight when they get to the top finger his white mice live in a little pagoda of gaily painted wire-work designed and made by himself they are almost as tame as the canaries and they are perpetually let out like the canaries they crawl all over him popping in and out of his waistcoat and sitting in couples white as snow on his capacious shoulders he seems to be even fonder of his mice than of his other pets smiles at them and kisses them and calls them all sorts of endearing names if it be possible to suppose an englishman with any taste for such childish interests and amusements as these that englishman would certainly feel rather ashamed of them and would be anxious to apologize for them in the company of grown-up people but the count apparently sees nothing ridiculous in the amazing contrast between his colossal self and his frail little pets he would blandly kiss his white mice and twitter to his canary birds amidst an assembly of english fox-hunters and would only pity them as barbarians when they were all laughing their loudest at him it seems hardly credible while i am writing it down but it is certainly true that this same man who has all the fondness of an old maid 
for his cockatoo and all the small dexterities of an organ-boy in managing his white mice can talk when anything happens to rouse him with a daring independence of thought a knowledge of books in every language and an experience of society in half the capitals of europe which would make him the prominent personage of any assembly in the civilized world this trainer of canary birds this architect of a pagoda for white mice is as sir percival himself has told me one of the first experimental chemists living and has discovered among other wonderful inventions a means of petrifying the body after death so as to preserve it as hard as marble to the end of time this fat indolent elderly man whose nerves are so finely strung that he starts at chance noises and winces when he sees a house spaniel get a whipping went into the stable-yard the morning after his arrival and put his hand on the head of a chained bloodhound a beast so savage that every groom who feeds him keeps out of his reach his wife and i were present and i shall not forget the scene that followed short as it was mind that dog sir said the groom he flies at everybody he does that my friend replied the count quietly because everybody is afraid of him let us see if he flies at me and he laid his plump yellow-white fingers on which the canary-birds had been perching ten minutes before upon the formidable brute's head and looked him straight in the eyes you big dogs are all cowards he said addressing the animal contemptuously with his face and the dogs within an inch of each other you would kill a poor cat you infernal coward you would fly at a starving beggar you infernal coward anything that you can surprise unawares anything that is afraid of your big body and your wicked white teeth and your slobbering bloodthirsty mouth is the thing you like to fly at you could throttle me at this moment you mean miserable bully and you daren't so much as look at me in the face because i am not afraid of you will you think better of it and try your teeth in my fat neck bah not you he turned away laughing at the astonishment of the men in the yard and the dog crept back meekly to his kennel ah my nice waistcoat he said pathetically i am sorry i came here some of that brute slobber has got on my pretty clean waistcoat those words express another of his incomprehensible oddities he is as fond of fine clothes as the veriest fool in existence and has appeared in four magnificent waistcoats already all of light garish colours and all immensely large even for him in the two days of his residence at blackwater park his tact and cleverness in small things are quite as noticeable as the singular inconsistencies in his character and the childish triviality of his ordinary tastes and pursuits i can see already that he means to live on excellent terms with all of us during the period of his sojourn in this place 
he has evidently discovered that laura secretly dislikes him she confessed as much to me when i pressed her on the subject but he has also found out that she is extravagantly fond of flowers whenever she wants a nosegay he has got one to give her gathered and arranged by himself and greatly to my amusement he is always cunningly provided with a duplicate composed of exactly the same flowers grouped in exactly the same way to appease his icily jealous wife before she can so much as think herself aggrieved his management of the countess in public is a sight to see he bows to her he habitually addresses her as my angel he carries his canaries to pay her little visits on his fingers and to sing to her he kisses her hand when she gives him his cigarettes he presents her with sugar-plums in return which he puts into her mouth playfully from a box in his pocket the rod of iron with which he rules her never appears in company it is a private rod and is always kept upstairs his method of recommending himself to me is entirely different he flatters my vanity by talking to me as seriously and sensibly as if i was a man yes i can find him out when i am away from him i know he flatters my vanity when i think of him up here in my own room and yet when i go downstairs and get into his company again he will blind me again and i shall be flattered again just as if i had never found him out at all he can manage me as he manages his wife and laura as he manages the bloodhound in the stable-yard as he manages sir percival himself every hour in the day my good percival how i like your rough english humour my good percival how i enjoy your solid english sense he puts the rudest remarks sir percival can make on his effeminate tastes and amusements quietly away from him in that manner always calling the baronet by his christian name smiling at him with the calmest superiority patting him on the shoulder and bearing with him benignantly as a good-humoured father bears with a wayward son the interest which i really cannot help feeling in this strangely original man has led me to question sir percival about his past life sir percival either knows little or will tell me little about it he and the count first met many years ago at rome under the dangerous circumstances to which i have alluded elsewhere since that time they have been perpetually together in london in paris and in vienna but never in italy again the count having oddly enough not crossed the frontiers of his native country for years past perhaps he has been made the victim of some political persecution at all events he seems to be patriotically anxious not to lose sight of any of his own countrymen who may happen to be in england on the evening of his arrival he asked how far we were from the nearest town and whether we knew of any italian gentlemen who might happen to be settled there 
he is certainly in correspondence with people on the continent for his letters have all sorts of odd stamps on them and i saw one for him this morning waiting at his place at the breakfast-table with a huge official-looking seal on it perhaps he is in correspondence with his government and yet that is hardly to be reconciled either with my other idea that he may be a political exile how much i seem to have written about count fosco and what does it all amount to as poor dear mr gilmore would ask in his impenetrable business-like way i can only repeat that i do assuredly feel even on this short acquaintance a strange half-willing half-unwilling liking for the count he seems to have established over me the same sort of ascendancy which he has evidently gained over sir percival free and even rude as he may occasionally be in his manner toward his fat friend sir percival is nevertheless afraid as i can plainly see of giving any serious offence to the count i wonder whether i am afraid too i certainly never saw a man in all my experience whom i should be so sorry to have for an enemy is this because i like him or because i am afraid of him chisa as count fosco might say in his own language who knows end of section forty three end of library of the world's best literature ancient and modern volume nine